Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Love, Life, and Legacy, a podcast designed to help you navigate these hypersexualized times of ours. And I think, honestly, that this is one of the most important podcast episodes we've ever done. And I'm not one of those hypey type of folks that says that before every single episode. In fact, I think I've never said that before. Um, this is a, an episode that will challenge you a lot, actually. It's longer than most because I didn't want to edit the content too much. I didn't want to take anything out for the sake of expediency. I wanted us to go deep. And also the, the, the topic, we're talking about human trafficking in this episode, and it's heavy at times. Patrick has been working in this field for nine years, and he's seen some horrific things. But we don't dwell in that. We touch on it. We touch on the difficulty of this issue, but we don't stay there. We get into solutions. We get into how you personally can contribute to the abolition of human trafficking. It's possible. Um, But yeah, we we didn't gloss over the details. We went into some of the stuff and it's not always pleasant. But especially if you've ever seen porn, you need to listen to this because there's some realities that our logical minds don't allow us to consider, which is our involvement in human trafficking. And it's really important. If you want to get rid of pornography or if you would like to live a life of sexual integrity that you understand the stakes and that you can navigate accordingly. And so I left this episode feeling kind of heavy, but also super inspired. And I see how I can contribute very clearly and very consistently to the solution, which will ultimately end human trafficking. So please stick around and, and, and hunker down and listen to this full episode, okay? Please commit to it now, and I believe you will be a better, more informed, and powerful person because of it. So without further ado, let's get into Human Trafficking with Patrick Erlinson. All right, guys. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, men, gentlemen. Uh, today is still, we're still on planet Earth, wherever you're listening. Humanity is still on planet Earth. We're still working through some stuff. We haven't, if there, if God has prepared another planet for us, we haven't deserved it yet. We still have to work things out on this planet. I hope you're, I hope you're buckled up and ready to get into a really important topic with a really important person um, because this person represents the crossover of two worlds that are deeply connected, but people are usually in one camp or another. And they're (laughs) like we were talking before the show, you're either kind of trying to help people make sense of pornography or you're in the human trafficking, you know, you're fighting that because that's a huge beast unto its own. And so what we're going to do today, we have Patrick, Lord Patrick is on is on the call with us today, and uh, I've I've had the occasion to meet him uh, a few times. He is somebody who has given so much of his heart to human trafficking, and then has discovered something that we were talking about prior to the show, which is like, what is your human trafficking footprint? Because it's not something that exists beyond us. We're all a part of a, a global network of humanity. So how are we contributing to this in what way? And today I really want to get into with Patrick because he's invested so much. I always see pictures of you, Patrick, online doing protests in the streets, trying to spread awareness. And I know 
how passionate you are. And I want all of us in High Noon to plug into your passion, to learn from, from all of your hours and hours and hours of investment, learning about human trafficking, the pain that people are going through. We want to understand this topic and then how it also pertains to pornography. And so wherever you are, whatever you're doing, as you listen to this, please try to find a space where you can open your mind and open your heart so that we can work as expediently as possible to stop this dead in its tracks so that we can stop human trafficking, so that we can turn humanity to a much better and healthier track. So we have probably one of the greatest people that we can have to speak on this topic because he's not just an ambassador for fighting human trafficking. He himself has worked on his own sexual integrity and we've been, we've seen him grow a lot over the years. And so please welcome, that was the longest introduction probably in history, Patrick Erlinson. <laughs> but I, I would equally say it's such an incredible honor to be here and talk with you. We, we keep running into each other. We talk occasionally, but, but um, I admire you so much. It's so great to be here with you. It's been, it's a, it's been a, a, a rocky road getting here, but I'm really grateful. Um, and I did want to kind of open this up because there, there is sometimes when we think about human trafficking, it becomes this very pigeonholed, very narrow thing of just, um, you know, because it's, because it's inflammatory, it's emotional. It's, it, 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 digs into people's passions. We just talk about, you know, selling children and Epstein and pedophile islands. And it's so easy to get caught up in, in one aspect of human trafficking. But if I can, I'd really like to share like how I first got into this and how, how this became something that I couldn't let go of. Um, because for me, it was, I, I took a job working with the United Nations Refugee Agency when they opened an office here in LA to basically educate people about what was happening with refugee populations. And, we started getting reports from Africa. That time was the, you know, the, the co conflict in Darfur and southern Sudan, where you started having children watching their parents be killed by the Janjaweed, and you had, you had, you know, children and families being driven out of their their homelands, you know, just by this terrorist onslaught of of ravaging villages and communities, taking people to be slaved in Khartoum, and then also people escaping and leaving their countries. So what was happening to a number of these children and people is, is crossing into Egypt. And then they were trying to get to Israel because they heard in Israel that, that there were jobs, that they would actually be supported and be given jobs. So you had, in many cases, children who had just watched their parents mm -hmm. killed, um, you know, crossing already with the kind of trauma that they're carrying and the, and the, the sense of loss and heading into a, this incredibly dark unknown. These, these groups of Bedouins in Egypt would befriend them and take them in and feed them. And, you know, they'd sit around the fire and, you know, they'd feel safe. They'd start to feel that they were among friends. All the while, the Bedouins have called to Cairo, asked for a doctor to come down. The doctor is on his way. Once he gets there, they drug everyone, um, cut out their organs, and then bury them in the desert. And and for me, it was just like that. That was just like a Mack truck to my heart. And this, this idea of a child being so betrayed you know, like you win their trust, you you win their 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 ability to relax, their ability to feel that they're that they're among friends and that they're safe, and then you kill them, and and I just couldn't I just couldn't let it go. It just tore me up, and I and so this was about ten years ago, and then I started researching human trafficking and and what human trafficking entailed, and so then then finding that it wasn't just 
you know, uh, harvesting of organs, that it wasn't just labor trafficking, which is just so extreme, you know, across the world as well. Um, but also the sex trafficking. And so, um, that, it was this, it's that same kind of betrayal that that motivated me to kind of want to learn about this and want to take a position and take a stand in in helping to end it. So I started about nine years ago. Started really investing full time, not full time. I'm a teacher, so I, I I have my job, <laughs> but all the other time that I have, I began to invest in this. And I worked. I, I chose. There's different areas of human trafficking. There's like the prevention side. There's there's the prosecution side. There's there's rescuing girls and there's restoring girls, giving them a chance at a new life again. For me, everything that was in me just kind of was drawn to prevention. So when you start looking at how do we stop this? How do we stop? I mean, estimates are today that there are over 40 million people living in some form of slavery. Um, there are estimates that there are about 24 million people that are living in some sort of sex slavery around the world. Um, and it's the, I mean, I, I'm not a big numbers person. I'm not, not big on statistics and stuff, but but it is, it's the fastest growing international crime is human trafficking. It's the second largest, like, f- like funded, profitable kind of endeavor in the world today. Um, next to selling of guns. It's, it's selling human beings is now the, the second most profitable business you can be in in the world today. It's massive way beyond Amazon and beyond the, the things that we typically would think of as you know, high-earning types of businesses. But, but it's, it's so exploitive. It's just that you're, you're basically taking, taking a human being and stripping them of everything that they would and could be in their lives and turning them into a commodity or turning them into a product. And so the the whole the whole work of human trafficking is and, and what human traffickers do is turn a human being into a product. So that is the definition of trafficking. I mean, just to get clear for anybody who's been living under yeah. a rock or for people who've been fed a wide variety of definitions, is human trafficking is the commodification of human beings. Yeah. And it's if you take the terminology that's now accepted by like the State Department and and kind of officially, it's if if you're if it's an exchange if you're using a person and you're getting some benefit from using that person so tr- human trafficking can be you know a landlord and this is this is what we're really scared of now with coronavirus is you're having an ex- expansion and and an explosion of human trafficking a lot of people are really hoping it would diminish because everyone's quarantined everyone's locked down yay no more trafficking um but actually um you now have landlords that are saying, well, look, you can't pay your rent. Okay, well, come have sex with me and I'll, I'll let you stay in your apartment. And that's a form of trafficking. It's like, an, it's, I'm using you to, you know, to, in exchange for some benefit, you can stay in your apartment. So whether it's actually putting someone on the street and selling a 12-year-old on the street or um, some other exchange of goods. So you have, you have, you have mothers who are addicted to drugs who end up trading their child to a to a drug dealer to get their next fix the drug dealer is then sending having the child slept with by multiple men in order to make it to make extra money um it, it's i mean it's it's pretty horrific but but the so the 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 official definition is if you're under 18 then it's automatically human trafficking so if you're if if you're being put out on the street if you're being used for someone else to gain gain the, the benefit of your labor that would be trafficking. If you're over 18, there has to be force, fraud, or coercion involved. So if someone forces you to do it, if someone lies to you and, and tells you you're going to get this wonderful job and then takes away your passport and sticks you in, on a pole in a strip club, um, that's 
that. And then, then the other coercion is, and this has happened to a, to a friend of mine. She was a survivor of trafficking. At, she was in her second or third year of university. You know, beautiful, really intelligent woman. Um, and she got drawn into this whole world. Um, and in her case, the, the, they, had her, they had her home information and they told her, if you do anything, if you try to run away, if you try to resist us in any way, we're going to go to your house and shoot the first person that comes out your door. And she loved her parents and she loved her little brother. And she, that, that was enough to hold over her to keep her doing what she was doing. Wow. So just to kind of understand the big picture here, right? A lot of the times, if you, if you hear um, human trafficking in the news or wherever in your feed, um, yeah. it's usually tied up with cartels, with mafias, you know, with some big conglomerate of some sort, right? Um, is that, is that how this is happening? Cause I can't imagine, like I travel a lot with my family and it's hard to travel, right? Like to get into countries, you need visas, you need this and that. So I don't understand how you could be shipping human beings without some sort of um, arrangement, like some ins with the government or something. Okay. Cause like, you, you're getting the wrong feeds. <laughs> <laughs> No, but there's a lot of misconceptions about trafficking. Trafficking doesn't require you to, to move anywhere. We, we, have, we have middle school girls that are living at home and climbing out of their bedroom windows to go take care of customers in the middle of the night because their, their trafficker has just sent them a text message. We have cases of girls in, in San Diego in school. This, this girl would get up in the middle of the class and start fighting with her teacher for absolutely no reason, just start screaming at him. So he would then kick her out of class because her trafficker was outside with a client and she had to get down in that parking lot in five minutes or she was going to pay for it. Um, so th this is, it's not a question of shipping people around. The estimates in the United States are 300,000, uh, up to 300,000 domestic children and, and people, American people are being trafficked within the United States. We produce vulnerable children at an incredibly alarming rate. The, the breakdowns of the family, the, the, the bringing in of a stepfather, stepmother. One of the first, tra the first trafficking survivors that I, that I heard speak talked of sitting in her bedroom. She was 11 or 12. She's playing with her Barbie. Her mother's boyfriend comes into her bedroom, sits down next to her, puts his hand on her leg. Intention is clear. The girl is just feeling a total panic, like doesn't know what to do. The mother comes in, looks at them, and the girl's thinking, I'm saved, I'm saved, you know, thank God. The mother backs out and closes the door and lets the boyfriend rape her daughter. Um, and that set her on a course. She ran away from home. She was, it was very soon before she was picked up by traffickers. And then she went through years and years of being exploited. And, and this is the other thing that, that what we found is that people who get exploited in, in a, about 80% of the cases, they were molested as children. They experienced some sort of form of abuse or sexual abuse when they were kids. And so they're broken already. They have, they already feel like they're dirty and children tend to blame themselves if they're, if anything bad has happened. Um, and, and in so many cases, if it's a, if it's an incestuous abuse, the blame is going to be shifted the father's going to put the blame on the daughter. The brother's going to put the blame on the, on the sister. Um, the mother's going to put the blame on the son. I mean, who, whatever. And so children are very quick to accept that it's their fault, whatever, whatever bad thing has happened. And, and they sense that it's bad. 
they're going to they're going to take blame for it and then they go out and self-punish by allowing themselves to be trafficked it's self-punishing is that part of it it's part of it they don't feel that they're worth anything more they don't feel that they're really deserving of something better so and and and, and they've also had such a bad experience with love i mean i just can't wrap my head around what it would be like to 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 have suffered sexual abuse from a, an adult that you're supposed to be able to trust and then make sense of the world it's like that has tipped everything upside down. Now nothing makes sense anymore. Who you're supposed to trust, who's supposed to protect you is the one hurting you and abusing you and doing something that you know essentially is wrong. Um, the only person I knew that, that, that didn't have that was when it was a, a girl who was a survivor of trafficking. She was, she was I don't know, I, I don't want to get too specific, but she was, she was molested as an infant. And so she grew up being molested from infancy by her uncle. And it wasn't until she was 12 or 13 that she actually came to a a realization that this wasn't right because it had been her whole life. It's all she knew for her entire life. And, but, but most children respond with a feeling of something's wrong with this. I don't know what it is. I can't explain it, but there's something wrong with this. And that creates a whole disconnect with love, adults, trust, their own self-identity, everything, everything breaks down at that point. And then you become the perfect person to exploit. Are there hot spots like within America? Let's just talk about America right now. Are there, are there, is it happening in the suburbs more in the cities uh, or is it pretty much the same? It doesn't matter. It's location nonspecific. Like how, I can't imagine, you know, I've been around America. I've seen it and this is all happening behind closed doors. It's happening. Sure. It's not happening overtly. You can see a prostitute in downtown, you know, I don't know, Detroit, obviously, or some city, and you say, oh, that's a prostitute, right? But then this is what's, happening. What's a prostitute, though? I mean, so the, the whole assumption is the prostitute is out there because this is her way of making money. She's she's probably scum. She, it's, I mean, but no, I'm, so I'm saying typically, I mean, the police, yeah. the, the police vice, vice squads, what they used to call going out and arresting prostitutes, it was the trash run. You're picking up trash. And the whole attitude towards prostitutes was – you know, you guys just made these bad life choices, bad life choices. You're trying to throw in your life away. What's wrong with you? Something's wrong with you. You're, you're the criminal. And it's only recently we've had this complete turnaround. I, I was a friend of mine is a judge here and she was in charge of the, the Compton, the, the children's court, the juvenile court. And she said for years, she was like reprimanding these, these girls who were being brought before her, picked up for prostitution. And she's like scolding them, you know, why aren't you in school? Why aren't you doing something with your life? Finally, she listened to one of the girls and she learned that this girl had absolutely no freedom to do whatever she wanted to do. That there was a, that there was a man who was telling her what underwear to wear, what, where to be, at what time, what to eat, when to eat. He, he had then taken over her, her whole autonomy. It was, was run by this guy. And, and in talking to a therapist, we, we started one of the conferences I started together. But she was telling me that, you know, typically we have grandparents, we have aunts and uncles, we have nieces, nephews, we have cousins, we have best friends, we have brothers and sisters, um, we have a boyfriend, we have a husband, we have a, um, you know, in whatever capacity, right? We have all of these relationships that fill our lives, right? Sure. I mean, that's normal yeah. for most of us. We have uh, this vast array of, of relationships. Human trafficker basically takes over all of those positions. He becomes the uncle. He becomes the boyfriend, the husband, the father, the, the brother. He takes every position in a child's life until she buys into it to survive. Like she's going to, she has to accept this because she's got no control. And also because this is the, this is, 
you know, the thing that really like is, is so sad about this is that you have a child who, who feels that being with a trafficker is better than being at home because she's treated worse at home. And even though she's being forced to go out and, and service 10, 20, 30 men a day and have sex with them, that's better because this person is at least taking care of her, mm. right? And at home, her parents weren't taking care of her. I mean, so yeah. th- this is this is why I, I think, you know, we, we have we have two problems. We have we have one where we're creating vulnerability. We're creating vulnerability in children that that enables them to be trafficked. That enables them to have somebody step in and say, "Look, I'll take care of you. I'll tell you what to do. I'll feed you. <laughs> I'll give you a mattress to sleep on," um, and that's enough. And then we also have the the creation of entitlement that we're that we're encouraging a sense of entitlement, and especially in boys, um, where you're in, you're entitled to 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 get what you want, and and that means another person's body that means your your sexual gratification trumps anything else it's it's you're entitled to to getting your sexual pleasure and and so that yeah can i I just wanted to get in there and and dig into both those because you're saying we are i'm assuming you're meaning like as a society we're creating too much vulnerability, but then we're also creating too much entitlement. So let's go back to vulnerability and how is that, how is that being promoted in our, in our youth? Well, and so this is a, there's a whole nother area. So my, my two areas of focus are in culture. So the culture is, is this swamp, this poisonous swamp that's normalizing all kinds of horrible things. And then that, that really hits on pornography and what's happening in movies today and music. Um, but then the other side is on fathers. And I think the more that I've studied about fatherhood and the more I've studied about the significance of a father, the more I feel really like I wish I could go back and start over again. Um, but also the, just realizing that when we drop the ball, when a father drops the ball with his kids, that creates a very big hole. And it, whether it's a son or a daughter, there's something seriously missing and something that can't be replaced. It's something that that you can be the most wonderful mother, single mother on earth. You can do the best job possible, but there's there's something missing. There's something missing, and 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 it's and we're built for it. We're hardwired to have a relationship with a father, with a with a a male with male love in our life. Yeah. And when that's missing, we're 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 always going to be vulnerable. There's always going to be some level of vulnerability, and I and I think you know I I, I look at the in, go, in going to entitlement. If you look at the you look at the Garden of Eden story, and you look at kind of the, the Adam and Eve story, which to me, you can look at it from many different angles, right? And and typically people look at it from a from a position of, of disobedience. But sure. you can if you look at it from the standpoint of entitlement, it's like what was the whole temptation? It was you didn't ask to be born. You're here. That looks yummy. And God can't tell you, you can't have it. Because you never, you you know, you're here and it's sitting in front of you. So just go take it. You, no one gave it to you. You didn't earn it, but go take it because it looks good. I mean, if, if you if you see it in that in that term, the very essential beginning of us, it's you know the 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 original trauma that that has now been passed down for thousands of years. Is this is a sense of entitlement that I'm entitled to something that I didn't earn? I'm entitled to something that I that I didn't that I wasn't given, and and that you look at the motivation of the of men who who pay for sex, like men who actually go out and, and pay for sex. It's it, they're they're really driven by a sense of entitlement that I I want to have this kind of experience, so if I pay for it, I can get it. 
if I want to do this to someone's body, I pay for it, I can do it. I'm, I'm entitled to that, to that experience. And I think the worst case is when you, when you go to like the incel movement, which I don't, are you familiar with incel? No. Sorry. Um, it's involuntarily celibate. And, and these are tens of thousands of men who feel that sex is their right, that they're entitled to sexual pleasure. And if a woman doesn't give it to them, that woman is evil and she's violating his rights as a man to, to sexual gratification. So there are a couple of cases, the guy in, in Santa Barbara who went outside of the girl's sorority and shot all those girls um, some number of years ago in Santa Barbara, he was, he was part of this kind of group, this kind of thinking that girls weren't friendly to him. Girls kind of shined him on. They didn't, they didn't let him get his, his pleasure. And in his case, his father, realizing that he was really struggling about this, took him to Las Vegas to a prostitute and introduced him to the wonderful joys of sex with a paid person and uh, reinforcing that idea that, you know, it's your entire, it's you're entitled to this. You should get it. And if someone will give it to you, then go pay for it. But in his case, he got very resentful that he was not being given what was his due. And so he went and decided to kill a bunch of women and he was celebrated. You have websites across the, across the country and around the world where these, these men hang out and they, he's, he's like one of their heroes. Um, and then the other case was in Toronto with the, the guy who drove down the street, and mowed down all those people I think, oh, I two remember. years ago. Yeah. So he was also a hero of the incel movement because he was, he was punishing women for not, you know, forking it out. And, and this was there. Their, and th- this to me is kind of the, the extreme of entitlement. But v- we have varying degrees of it. I mean, it's, it's, I'm entitled to something that I haven't been given and haven't earned. And so I'm going to use you f- for, that, for that gratification, that pleasure. And do you think pornography plays into that entitlement, that sexual entitlement? <laughs> yeah, big time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm asking, I'm asking because if I, if I make the assumption, then I'm not learning, but I sincerely, I want to know how, how that's linked, right? Because when we watch pornography, that's the kind of unconscious thought is that it's a harmless thing. And these people are all voluntarily a part of this show. It's like watching a movie and actors and actresses get killed on camera, right? You, you play somebody who gets killed on camera. You're just acting, you're having sex on camera. You're just acting. So it's all one in the same, right? It's this kind of detachment from their humanity. So then how does that cause us to be entitled if it does? Okay. Well, a couple of things about that. So one is um, going, going, I'm going to start here. We go to, to Germany. So Germany legalized brothels, right? So they legalized prostitution. And, and so then brothels sprang up. One, one guy in particular built a bunch of these very large brothels. And, and then what happens immediately with de- decriminalization or with legalization is the demand just goes through the roof because, you know, if, if it's legal, that somehow means it's okay. Sure. Right. I mean, if, especially if you're a man, if you're a man and, and you you've been, you control yourself because of the morality of it, you, you, you control yourself because, you know, to get caught paying for paying for sex would be really shameful. You don't want to take a chance on that. You know, it's going to, you know, damage your family, whatever. So you, you end up controlling yourself, you know, and, and don't go to a brothel because it's, it's criminal and, and it may cause greater problems for your life. You remove the criminality of it. You remove that. And you basically have now opened it up to anyone who doesn't have a very strong sense of moral certitude, you know, like they, they know exactly what's right and wrong. Now this is like, whoa. I just had a fight with my girlfriend, off to the brothel. I just had a fight with my wife, 
I'm off to the brothel. My wife has a headache. I'm off to the brothel. You know, because it's, it's okay now. The government said it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, right? Sure. So, so demand spiked. They couldn't get enough girls who were willing to do that kind of work. So they were buying girls from traffickers, um, girls from Northern Africa, girls from Europe, from, from Eastern Europe, from Russia and places. They were, they were to fill the brothels because they just couldn't get enough, enough warm bodies. So, so when, with demand increasing, then you, you, have to, you have to meet that demand. And so what's happened with pornography, once, once pornography entered the Internet, it's just a massive change to, to anything that we've ever known before. Um, and, and I can get into that a little bit later. Uh, my introduction to pornography was my, my first introduction to pornography was collecting newspapers on a paper drive for school and somebody put a bunch of magazines together and my curiosity had me opening pages and being forever changed. Um, you know, and then finding, finding Playboy magazine under my dad's bed. Um, so that was my introduction. You look at now, you know, if you're an eight-year-old or nine-year-old or 10-year-old today, you have access to the hardest core porn imaginable at just the click click of a keyboard. I mean, it is, there's no more embarrassment of going to a store or, you know, like risking your dad finding out that you took his magazine. It, it's, that's all gone. And, and so the demand is just skyrocketing for this kind of content. There is no way to get enough girls. I mean, what was it Pornhub? It was like 3,000 videos a day are being uploaded to Pornhub. Um, just massive quantity. And, and so this, I mean, the, the survivors of trafficking that I've talked to, most of them, almost all of them were either sold to pornographers, like they're rented out, you know, and then, I mean, you look at what's being done. If the, if the, if the, that, if those numbers are correct. 80% of porn today, of hardcore porn today is violent. It's humiliation. It's violence. It's not two people making love and you get to see some boobs and stuff. It's, it's, it's really hardcore porn on the internet today is violent, abusive, um, all kinds of crazy, crazy stuff. The whole bukake world and all this crazy stuff that's happening now. You, you're not going to get enough women willing to go through that. You, you know, sure. so so those are so those are victims of trafficking that are being rented out to the pornographers because they can't say no. And and I I saw this underground video that had been made some years ago of a girl who she signed a contract. She had a she was a single mom, really struggling to make money. She signed a contract. Okay, I come in, I have sex with one guy. You know, okay, I can handle that. You know, that's it. It's very vanilla. No problem. I can do that. She gets there and it's turned into a different script. And now it's with five guys, you know, some multiple guys on various parts of her body. And she's going, oh, no, I can't do that. I can't do that. And so this, this video that was taken was the, the director takes her in, sits her on the bed and he's sweet talking her and he's telling her, you know, you're not going to get paid. You know, you're supposed to get $2,000 for this, you know, and you're not going to get paid. And look at all these guys, you know, we have people working the lights and the microphones and cameras and, you know, and the director, all of these people are here because of you. And if you don't do it, none of those people get paid. None of them can take care of their families. And it's just this guilt tripping this girl into doing this scene. And she finally agrees. And in the course of doing the scene, she gets gagged so badly that she passes out. I mean, it's just, and, and you're, and you're seeing this play out, um, the, the coercion that's involved within the, within the, the pornography business and, and the, and, and the, the fraud that also exists there. And you, and you don't get this from, from 
you know, pornography actors, porn, pornography, you know, the actors in porn while they're in. But once they get out, you start hearing all of these stories of what they were forced to do and made to do. But so, yeah, yeah, that's a very important point. And I'd like to, I'd like to highlight that real quick is that the people typically justifying, you know, and validating the the legitimacy of pornography are usually still within the industry. And then once you leave the industry, that's when you hear the the other side, darker side, because they they're not being controlled by it, or they you know they're they're free from it, so they can talk about it. So so th- that was one of the things to me was coming coming to the realization um, because in my own personal case, I mean, I was still struggling with pornography. And still looking at pornography at the same time that I was educating people about how horrible pornography was, it, w- it was this awful kind of weight of hypocrisy and and struggle. But I mean, pornography had been off and on a part of my life since I was probably eleven, and 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 there were there were whole periods of time where where it, it wasn't there, but it, it you know it came back, and then. So, so just that 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 dealing with that the shame and the and the guilt and the hypocrisy of of realizing this was a really bad thing, but still that was my that was my self med, you know, that was my my way to self medicate myself from, you know, my home situation, my family, my you know, my struggles, and uh, but it was really coming to the realization that I, I'm looking at someone who very well could be trafficked, and to me, trafficking was just such, it, it's such a a a theft of a human life because if you survive it, which, which many, many people do, they survive it, but they are, that they are damaged in such deep ways for the rest of their life, their ability to trust. I mean, I know two survivors that are, that are now lesbian and married a woman because they can't even stand to be with a man at all. Um, And I mean, you have, you have real, real damage done to a person's trust um, and their, and their own self, um, their, their own, their own sense of self of who they are is so is so shaken and and so it takes years and years and years to try to recover from that but it's just it's a theft of a human being who is who who exists as the image of god who exists with their own hopes and dreams and values and and desires that's that's them completely been taken over by by a person who who is making money from them who just uses them as a as a product well how did you how did you figure that out how did you sort through that because this is something that we've been dealing with as high noon because we're we're unabashedly you know tackling the issue of pornography and it's a very personal issue human trafficking is big enough and it's kind of evil enough that nobody overtly says i support it right everybody at least on the on the record is anti-human trafficking every politician whether they actually live up to that is another another thing. So it's like a nice statement, I'm against human trafficking. But then, you know, there's the reality of our connection to human trafficking through pornography and feeding this machine. So how were you able to sort through that mess of being so vehemently against one, but be, being affiliated to the other? How did you sort through that mess? Painfully. <laughs> um I mean, ultimately, what really kind of just changed everything was 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 being open and and talking about it, sharing sharing that I had this this struggle because until then I, I felt like I was the worst human being alive. You know, it's like and and the you know you know this kind of like the voices in your head. It's like everybody's doing it. 
you know, everybody's doing it. Everybody looks at porn. There's no big deal. There's no victim here. You know, it's like, and, and you have your, your needs, you have your frustration. So you gotta, you gotta find a way to release it. This is better than going out and raping someone for God's sake. So this is okay. You're entitled to this. This is okay. And nobody's getting hurt. You didn't make the porn. It's just there already. You know, no one's being hurt. If you just look at it, you know, so there's all of this side, but then once you do it, then it's like, Oh man, if people knew they would hate you, everyone would just be so disgusted with you. You are just scum. Uh, so you're, you're going back and forth between these, you know, this is no problem. And then the other side is just like, man, you did that. You are just the worst thing, you know, crawled out from under a rock and everybody would hate you. Everyone would leave you. No one, no one could love you the way that you are. So. It sounds in a way like your inner dialogue, and this is very common amongst, you know, anybody who's struggling with shame, you know, and, and regrettable actions is it sounds like you have a pimp inside your own head, like the same psychology of coercing you to do something and then shaming you for doing the very thing that they coerce you to do. That's like the internal dialogue of, of the whispers that are happening inside your own mind in a sense. Yeah, exactly. I mean, where does that come from? So, if if you look at you go back to go back to the, you know, the symbolism of the Adam and Eve story. I mean, it's so interesting to me because there's so much in there. But the position, the position of the the tempter of of the of the snake, you know, the serpent is is it, it it's all of that. He's a pimp. He's a he's he's someone who's luring you into something that you know you're not supposed to do. He's making it okay to do this. You know, on the one hand, there there are traffickers. I mean, we we divide up traffickers into the kind of gorilla pimps and and Romeo pimps. I mean, then there's variety in there. But gorilla pimps are people that just kind of grab you by your hair, throw you in a van, take you off, and force you to work. Um, and there are those guys, and those a lot of times are gang members, and they're 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 people who have their own you know kind of little small little gangs. You know how you know there's the mafia. You know, it's kind of this big monolith of evil um but but then you have you know just five or six guys that just kind of create their own little way to make a bunch of money in the hood and and that's so much of the trafficking is like that um but but there is i mean i i did want to get back to your point about the mafia and the governments and stuff because what what we found here in la and, and in most places where there are gangs you know, if they're making their money from selling drugs or guns, they're, they sell it one time and it's gone, but you sell a girl over and over and over again. You can sell her 365 days of the year. You know, you have absolutely no respect for what's happening in her bodily functions or with how she feels or if she's sick or not sick. She's, she's out there working because you're going to hurt her if she doesn't. Um, so there, so there, there's all kinds of, you know, levels of trafficking from the Epsteins down to you know, a guy in the neighborhood who just sees that the only people who really have money and respect are the pimps. And so I want to be one of those. And that's his ticket out of, of his situation. Um, but, but so there, there are, there are kind of a variety of levels of, of traffickers, but, but the Romeo pimp is really classic in that it's, this is a guy that will take the time to get to know you, to, to win your trust, to convince you that he really cares about you, that you matter to him. And then once you bite, once once you're you've allowed yourself to open your heart to this guy, it's it's very very difficult to to give up on that because what you've done is you've created a fantasy of who this guy is. This guy really does care about me, even though he's he's shared absolutely nothing of himself with you, but he's listened to everything you've said. And if you're a twelve or thirteen year old girl, dad's working all the time, mother's working. You're sitting at home alone. You're on your smartphone a lot. And here's this guy and he's listening to you. And he, 
you know, the pictures of him, he looks really handsome. He's, you know, maybe he's 20, you know, maybe he's 18, but, but anyway, he's really nice and he understands me and he sends me messages in the middle of the night, you know, wondering and worrying about how I am. And he's just such a nice guy. He really cares about me. And, and that's the guy who's really building, he's building a relationship with you. So then he's got hooks in you and you're not going to leave him. And then once you decide, okay, I'm going to go meet this guy. He's, he seems so nice. So I, you go and meet him and then you disappear. And I mean, it's just, I mean, God, it's just like talk, you talk to parents who have been through this. You talk to people who have had their child taken like this. And it's, I mean, there, there are a few things that I can imagine would be much worse. If you can imagine your, your daughter is out there, some guy's controlling her and making her sleep with 10, 20, 30 guys a day. And like, as a father who, who should be a form of protection of his daughter to have, to, to have that and to know, to know that that's happening so, way, way too much. But you do have that element. And I think, so yeah, the, 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 the pimp in your head, that's a good way of putting it. It's like, he's selling you on it. He's selling you on it. And then he's shaming you for, for buying. And, and, order, and all of that is just this balance to keep you, to keep you shut up, to keep you kind of in the dark, to keep you keeping it in the dark. So then you can't get free. And it's really, you know, that was the thing that I think high noon, high noon is just, you know, I think to me, high noon is just such an incredible an incredible place because what you created is is an environment that's that's open enough for people to really say, yeah, I did that. I I I went there, and I couldn't tell anyone else that in my whole life. I couldn't admit that to anyone else. But but you guys have created something that allows a person to really face face themselves, look at it, say it out loud, and then it just like that's the starting point of things being able to change. You know, it's like, until we get there, you're not going to change it. As long as it's, you're keeping it in the, in the closet and covered up and dark, it's very hard to, to change. But once you bring it out and say, yeah, like I did this. And, and that was my, once I kind of really, it, it, it finally, I could, I could face that. I could, I could basically admit it. Um, it, It's, it's like, there's a, I've just, I'm, I want to use every, everything that I did. I want to use every mistake. I want to use everything that I've seen to help someone else not do that. So that's why I'm so glad to be here. How, how has that kind of informed where you're at today? Like you went on this journey where you had this internal conflict, especially, you know, after seeing what, what human trafficking is and does to people and then seeing your own involvement then you're figuring out how to sort through this mess. You're dividing it. You're objectifying your own, you know, compulsion with pornography and kind of removing it from you. And then what does that space that, that pornography was occupying in your mind, your psyche, in your heart, now, now that you've removed it, what, how has that space been used to empower the work that you do? And or has it? I think in two ways. I mean, in the, you know, in, within my family, with my relationship with my wife, it's, it's, we've had an awkward and odd kind of 38 years. Um, and then, so we moved to Japan and lived in Japan. And, and that was, that was really a pivotal thing for me as a Western man. I, I really wanted to enjoy time with my wife and, and we you know, you have more of a kind of a friendship relationship right i mean you'd sit down and watch movies together and you'd go out to dinner and you talk and stuff and and we kind of had that before moving to japan and then once we moved to japan then you know 
part of it was my work situation and part of it was was my wife slipping back into japanese mode and it's like in japan you 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 really like the husband is one more kid that you have to take care of and it's kind of like so you feed them and clothe them and make sure that they you know their their needs are being met that's the role of the wife she takes care of everything to support the husband i mean you had in the past you had in, in like the the samurai days in japan you had the wife would pay for a prostitute for her husband because her job wasn't to make him pleasure him her her job was have kids take care of the kids take care of the home so so even to that extreme where she would she would pay for him to go to the red light district because that was that was not her responsibility and yeah. and and so there were there was so when we went moving back to Japan, it was just kind of for me it was a really like shocking, uncomfortable thing as a as a husband. Where now I'm, you know, her duty is done once I'm fed and and once you know like everything is taken care of in the home. And and my work situation didn't help. So I was coming home from work late. You know, I was teaching in Japan and, and I had classes from nine in the morning till nine at night, and I'd get home at. 10 or 10 30 my wife would be asleep with the kids i'm not saying this you know i really i do not mean to say that this is an excuse by any, any means whatsoever but it's kind of it was it was such a change for me that then it, it that, that was the vulnerability for me so that there was a there was a vulnerability there that then was exploited and 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 i and and i you know it was my choice but i went down this path of going back and trying to find some you know, gratification or some something that would kind of ease what I was going through, um, the the loneliness or the emptiness that I felt on on one level, in that way. And you know, I, I'm so so part of what's happened with this is go, going back, talking to my wife, telling her telling her the truth, you know, exposing myself, and, and not just to my wife but to my children, which was extremely difficult. Um, but but with my wife is like and then coming to coming to talk to her and she never complains about anything even if i would do you know something terrible you know <laughs> not come home until 2 in the morning and you know whatever but she would never complain never say anything against that which to me fueled more like you know she, she's she's just going to accept me for whatever there's no requirement on me to be a good husband so what the hell you know i don't need to be there's no ramification. There was no accountability. There was no. There was no nothing there, and and that just fed you know the misdirection that that was sitting there. Come on, come on, come on, and and so now you know talking to my wife now we have you know a more honest conversation and really talking to her and I, and I was asking her about that you know like what did what did you feel what did you think and stuff and she said that she would cry wanting to die. I mean this is something I never saw. I never saw anything even remotely like this from her. But she said, I just was crying and I just wanted to die. But what she would, her conclusion was, my ancestors probably did something like this to someone else. So I am going to turn this into a victory. So I am going to accept this and I'm going to win over this and not get pulled down into, you know, wanting to die or wanting to give up and get divorced. Or So, so she handled it very, very differently. Um, when I when I hear that now, it just makes me want to curl up in a ball and cry for a week. Um, just the, knowing how much I hurt her because she never showed anything, so it was kind of like, you know. But but there was there was real there was real hurt there, and I think so. Once you start peeling away the layers of of pornography and what it does to a couple, what it does to a family, what it does to you know to the trust between children and parents. It's something just so completely ugly that the whole concept of this being a victimless 
activity goes out the window and it just isn't it 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 causes really deep significant damage to you as a human being your your own sense of integrity your you know so for me it's like th- that was really intense because here i am teaching about you know pornography being being terrible um and at the same time not having been able to to cut from it completely because it had been so much a part of my self-medication so there was that mm. just that sense of of hypocrisy um and then really wanting the integrity back and i think that's the the hunger for integrity is much stronger than the than the the hunger for anything else and and i wanted i want to have integrity with my daughters i want to have integrity with my wife i want to have integrity with the people when i say that pornography is bad it's because i know i know how bad it is and, and so you should listen to me because this this is real and and i just want to take all of that all of the pain, all of the shame and guilt and, and all of that and turn it into a way to help other people to not, to not experience that. Yeah, that's very powerful. And it's a way that we can all take our past, regardless of where, where we come from, what we've done, and turn it into a positive, which is um, to use it. Like you said, that, that hunger for integrity, although a lot of people might slip and kind of fall into apathy or whatever that that appetite for integrity is still there it hasn't gone away it might be quiet it's like it's a slow burn that never goes away you'll always be aware of the dreams that you're missing out on when you're living out of integrity because that desire for integrity is in your bones whether you acknowledge it or not there uh it's just how much you acknowledge it or not yeah, one thing I wanted to I wanted to cut, touch on too is this: it's what happens to a lot of men um, is they they end up if they start to face it, then a lot of times they're going, well, you know, my wife and my children would be better off without me, so I should just leave. And and, and we see that on a, also on a very large scale. And I think I've heard the figure that up to five hundred thousand divorces are now in some way connected to pornography, um, which is huge. And 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 even though everyone who watches porn is not going to go out and pay for sex with someone in the backseat of their car or in a motel room. There, there are, by estimates, 25 million American men who are paying for sex. Um, that is a lot of men. And some of those men are going out three, four, five times a week. Some of them only do it once. And then they, they realize that this is a really bad experience and I don't want that again. And then other sure. people, it's like, it's always there as an option. So when things get bad, when things get, get stressful, um, it's it's always kind of hanging over them. And not everyone does. Not everyone who watches porn is going to go to that to that point. But but almost everyone who goes to prostitutes watches porn. It's like the yeah. you know it's one of those things. Like it's they're 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 feeding their appetite and uh, you know through porn. And then that's you know so many so many trafficked girls are saying guys are coming up with their their smartphones and saying I want to do this to you. So they're, yeah. it's, the, it's the appetite is being fed by what they're seeing in porn. And, and that's the thing that's really, really scary. And especially when you look at what's happening with, with sexual molestation, sexual abuse today around the world. I mean, there's, there are figures that there's a 400% increase, I've read, in child-on-child sexual assault, where you have, you have young boys watching porn that then go rape some girl at school or they do something to the, to girls at school because they've seen it in porn and they actually want to see what that's like to do it. I mean, there was a case recently of a 12 year old boy who had been, you know, raping his six year old sister, you know, molesting her f- for two years, I think, even while the parents were in the other room. 
but because he was he was so driven by porn and wanting to know what that was like to actually do it. Um, and the only way they found out was the sister told her friend at school, and that's how it kind of came out that this is what this kid had been doing. But we we have we have this. It, it's such a it's such a corrupter of the brain, and and yeah. and what our original what we're hardwired for. I mean, we are hardwired for intimacy. It's what we really want. We we want to be known and loved, right? We don't want to just yeah. be loved for something that's not real. We want to we want to be loved and known for really who we are. And that requires integrity, and that integrity then leads to intimacy, like a true, real intimacy. And so all this yep. other stuff is fake. It's just this kind of artificial. And, and a, a friend of mine, he's a, he, he, um, he used to work with a Christian organization for young people, and now he, he heads one of the greatest organizations fighting trafficking here for minors in L.A. Um, but he, was, he, he wrote a book recently. It's not out yet, but he, he let me read it. And... Um, he talks about he and some of his friends, before they became dads, they got together and they just started to really think, so w- what kind of father do I want to be for my kid? What kind, of, what kind of father do they need to see me be? And so they were very strategic about it. They really just looked at it. They're going to need to see me as someone that's going to protect them. They need to see me as a person who models love for my wife. They need to see me as this kind of person. And so they, they very intentionally went into having children with this idea of, of modeling what their children wanted they wanted their children to really learn about love and life and about themselves and how they, and how they lived as fathers. And, and I was so moved by that because if we see the real, the, the, the fake is just so much more unattractive, but that, but at the same time, porn is just like overrides your, your, your brain. I mean, it shuts, it shuts down those the healthier parts of your brain and has you do things that you would never be conceivable. I mean, you know, like a friend of mine works in Bangkok, working in the red light district in Bangkok. And he so we have American men who are not gay, but they'll go to Bangkok to pay for sex with teenage boys because they're watching porn. And it's making the it's 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 feeding this appetite that's changing who who they think they are, changing what they what they want to do with their lives and what they're willing to risk. It's all coming from porn. And then that just feeds into the kind of the trafficking world. So, so not only is porn producing a need for for actors and you know actors who can't say no, because as the content becomes more and more violent and more and more degrading, you, you don't have people signing up for that. So, the, not only is there the need then for people who will perform acts without having without being concerned about what's happening and the damage being done to their own bodies or or you know because they can't say no, but also you're creating this intense demand. You're 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 pumping out so much content and, and, and twisting people, people's desires and appetites in such a direction that they, they're not going to get it from a girlfriend or a wife. So then you, it requires some other body, again, someone who can't say no to facilitate that desire and that appetite. Um, so th- these, are, these are things that are where, the, where, the, where, the, where porn is just absolutely embedded with, with trafficking. They need, the, the one needs the other and creates the the other yeah it really seems like the on the one side uh what pornography feeds your mind is that uh the human that human sexuality is about twisting people to fit like doing whatever to their bodies to fit into your fantasy whereas the true intimacy that you're talking about is doing whatever you can 
you know, to fit into somebody else's heart <laughs> in a sense, right? Like the other one is about forcing and, and, and coercing and all that to shrink somebody down into what you need them to be for that moment. Whereas, so it's about shrinking and then truth and love seems about expand is expansion, right? Expanding your mind and heart to be able to be more uh, loving to show somebody the, the love that they want. And, I can really, you, you can really see that because it's, um, you can, you can coerce somebody and shrink somebody for a period of time, but eventually they're going to break or it's, it's not sustainable, which is why pornography is not sustainable, which is why you cannot be, you don't hear about, you know, lifelong porn actors and actresses. It's not like a lifelong career. It's a pretty short career from what I hear under two years is what I heard statistically, but maybe you have more accurate information. But I remember reading that the average porn actress can't sustain it for longer than two years uh, before physiologically or mentally right, everything right. down. Right. There was, there was, a, I met a, I met a guy who was a, he, he became a gay porn actor and, and he described, you know, men, you know, men in their forties having to wear diapers because nothing works down there anymore. They're, they're just, you know, they, what they've done to their bodies is so completely damaging. Um, and you don't hear those stories. I mean, you don't, you don't hear those things, yeah. um, but the, the, what you're, what you're doing to, to the physical body is when it, what it's, it's not really built for and not, not meant to do, but you know, it's like Kinsey's, you know, Kinsey's thing that kind of like the only thing that, that shouldn't be allowed is the thing that physically we can't do. I mean, just these crazy ideas about sexuality and about, about sex and what we, what we can and can't do to our bodies. Um, just, just awful stuff. But, but I do what I do. <laughs> okay. Don't let me forget this time. Um, but this idea, I, I wanted to kind of talk also about the idea of men wanting to check out. Because I think for me, it's like you're looking at that and going, "Yeah, look, I've caught, I've made my wife cry, I've, I've I've hurt my daughters, I've 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 been a monster." Like on, on the one hand, I'm kind of facing myself and looking at this, and then it's like, but then realizing if if I check out, like this still has to be done. There has to be someone who who loves my children, loves my wife. You know, it's kind of like I, I heard a I heard a talk once where there was a you know God has a plan A, plan B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, and it's like plan A is man, we are just all in, you know, mind body unity. We are just totally all together there, doing what we're supposed to be doing, loving perfectly. So that's plan A, you know. But so many things have happened. We we've inherited things from our you know like our ancestors before us. Things things in our DNA, things that have happened to us in the way that we've been raised and things we were exposed to finding Playboy magazines under our dad's bed, you know, these things that kind of like then imprinted themselves on us and, and knocked us off course, but there's still, there's a plan B and then there's a plan C and there's a plan D. And so it's like re realizing that to me has kind of been empowering that it's kind of like, yeah, I might not be there, but if I just feel guilty and, and so ashamed of myself and just defeated by, by my mistakes, well then what happens to plan M. <laughs> you know, it's like the, the, the place where I'm at today, I can be victorious here. I can be victorious now. And so not to get defeated, not to feel like, yeah, because I didn't make it in plan A or plan B, then, I, then I'm worthless and I'm a piece of crap and I shouldn't, I shouldn't hang around any longer, you know, yeah. or just go right back and just go all in on, you know, drugging myself up with porn and, and paying for prostitutes. It's like, you know, it's, it's, 
there's a place for us where we are right now, and there's a and there's a victory for us to have right now today, wherever we're at, and then not give up on that. And I think to me, the you know, I, I grew up Catholic, and the 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 story that I just absolutely love, and that, that really embodies so much of God to me, is the prodigal son story. And that you have you have these two brothers, the one who stays, he keeps working on the farm, he's doing his best, he's taking care of things for the family. The other brother's like, man, I got to get out of here and go taste the world, takes his money, goes out, blows it, parties, experiences, all the stuff that the world has to give, ends up with nothing. And then his, you know, it's like that that heart, like, I, I can't be a son anymore to my dad. I can't be his son. I'm too bad. I, what I've done is too terrible. So let me just be a servant. Let me just go back and just you know, beg to be taken in as a servant. And so that heart of, of, of humility, that heart of repentance and regret, and yet wanting to go back home, wanting to go back to, to the place where love really was. And then the father, you know, here he is in the house. He leaks down and sees his son coming down the road. He drops everything, runs down the road and just grabs the son. And it's like, just the greatest joy in the world, you know, to have his son be returned to him. And and he doesn't care what he's done. He doesn't care about those things. He knows those things of all, you know, that he's been hurt by doing those things. But all he wants is just to have his son back home where he can love him and, and live with him and take care of him and, and share life together. And it, to me, that's like, you know, God is just wants his kids home. And it's like, yeah, he'd like us to come home all neat and clean, and <laughs> but he'll take us however he can get us. He just wants us home. And it's, you know, I think it's just such a, so heartbreaking that so many men are, are still dug in to this idea of just, I mean, I just got to shame myself. I just got to, you know, what I've done is too bad. You know, I can't be loved. I can't, I can't go back. And God is just looking, looking out the window every day, just waiting for the chance to welcome, to welcome us home. And I think if we can get that message through, and I think that's really where I, I think high noon, Hiding to me really represents that. It's this, it's the manifestation of this heart of the of the father who just wants his kids home. His kids have been taken away by a bad idea. His kids have been taken away by a lie, and and he's just he just wants his kids home, and and that's what I think you know you guys are doing. Yeah, I hope. I mean, that's what we're striving for. And um, well, I, I would love to hear from you some positive news, right? <laughs> <laughs> because this is heavy and a lot of people don't like heavy stuff. They just want to talk about all the good news in the world. And it's important to have that balance that you are, that you find a sincere optimism and, and, and an op- a way to move forward, but you're also dealing with, within reality, you're not ignoring yeah. what's actually happening in this world. And so you deal with some of the heaviest stuff that that is imaginable that a human could do to another, and um, you know I know just from from my end that definitely it's becoming more of a cultural conversation. Human trafficking is is coming out from under I don't know this niche, and it's more kind of mainstream. We're talking about it, and then at least yeah. whether it's contextually correct or not, at least we're talking about it. So. I'd love to hear some of the the progress that's being made and some of the, you know, some of the victories that are happening out there too. Because I know that there's a lot of converging forces that are working together to yep. stop this, like on un- very unlikely bedfellows. To use a, a, a la- <laughs> that's probably the worst term you could use, but like, you know, people fighting together that would normally be enemies, but they say let's put our differences aside and fight this because this is so egregious, right? right. So, I'd love to hear 
like shower me with good news right now, Patrick. I, I'm sorry. I, I will do that. I will, but I have to raise one more thing because one of the things that's happening as as there's more awareness about human trafficking, people are now really coming up. In fact, in, including some of the recent kind of kind of presidential candidates, there there are people who are now putting for this idea that decriminalization of prostitution is the answer. That legalization of of prostitution is going to make trafficking go away. Um, in fact, whenever there's decriminalization or legalization, you have an increase in trafficking because it just you you have then a whole underground criminal side of things that, that kind of mushrooms. So, so just one thing is to be aware of that because it's being billed as the solution to trafficking, just legalized prostitution. And that's that makes everything okay. and makes everything right. And there's no more trafficking. Um, so beware of that because it's an absolutely, it's, it's an, it's, it's one more element of lie that, that actually causes more trafficking to occur, not less, but on the, on the brighter side, I mean, um, there are so many efforts now to to really to to raise the awareness and to and to point people in directions of what they can do. And I think for me, something is really heavy and and you know, just want to hide your head in the sand when you're not doing anything about it. And so, if you know about human trafficking, so if you know that human trafficking is feeding off of pornography, then that should give you an extra weapon to use against you know, like against using pornography, against going down that road. If you know that you're going to be supporting and it's, and you don't have to be paying anything. I think that's the lie. Pornhub, Pornhub registers every single click. If you click on watching this, Pornhub is is then monitoring that data, you know, collecting that data and saying, okay, he looked at this. He looked at a a man looking at at a transsexual man. Okay. We need more of that content. We need more of that, more of that content because, we just had 10 people click on that image or that video. So even if you're not paying Pornhub, so, so there's that, you know, again, we have that male ability to justify and, you know, it's like, I'm not hurting anybody because it's already out there. The content's there. So I'm not doing anything. Every time you click on Pornhub, you are ordering up more of that content to be made. And so that's one thing. So, I mean, I don't mean that in, in a, in a judgmental way, like, you know, you're a terrible person. I've been there. Um, but it can it can serve as a as a greater you know kind of a kind of reinforcement of what you really want to do, which is to not to, to not be having children or not be having someone who's vulnerable, broken, you know, there for you to, to for you to watch. So by not clicking, you're actually ending human trafficking. If you can make that leap, if you do not click onto Pornhub, you are actually helping to end human trafficking. If you are coming home and saying, you know coming into your daughter in her bedroom and you just exhausted, you just want to, you just want to go to bed, but you go into your daughter's room and ask her how her day was and tell her she's beautiful and tell her how much you loved her. You're fighting human trafficking. If you make yourself a trustworthy adult to a neighborhood kid who never is around adults, you know, if you're, if you're making yourself a trustworthy adult who can, who can, who can plant yourself in the, in the, in the life of a, of a young person who just needs some encouragement or some support, you're fighting human trafficking. And I think we need that. It's like, and so the, 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 you know, or donate some money. I mean, I, I'm, I'm organizing now our second film and art festival. So we're getting, you know, one of my students is a Korean kid. I've been teaching, you know, I, I'm an English teacher and he, he's now choreographed a crew dance, you know, for, for ending human trafficking. He has this particular talent. He's using that. We have musicians that are contributing songs and music to create something beautiful as an alternative to the ugly of human trafficking. Um, we're showing films. We're showing things in order to to make people aware, but then pushing them into whatever place you can go to fight human trafficking. There's a place for you, 
And I think, God, if just being a good dad, being a good dad is preventing a, a human trafficking victim 10 years from now. So celebrate that. Celebrate that. We can all actually do something to end this. Yeah. It seems like it's pornography is not victimless, but also conversely, you know, our influence is not limited either. We can, like you're saying, it's kind of like be a template for the opposite of human trafficking, which is human connection, right? Which is showing somebody what it looks like to be a stable, healthy person um, so that they can experience the real love that they would otherwise be be unaware of and and accept substitutes just out of ignorance because they don't even know what the other options are, right? Yeah. So the more that you are kind of looking to give your time and attention to those in your immediate circle, your family, your friends, your neighbors, but also kind of to look around to see that's what, you know, the Big Brothers, Big Sisters organization used to be about. I don't even know if they're still around, but Boy Scouts, it was all kind of like set up in that way. And all the, many of these institutions are kind of, I guess, falling apart or they just haven't caught up to the times. But now there's this huge gap where people don't have that elder sibling relationship locked down. They don't have, they're put it into like, you know, parenting has largely been outsourced. You know, you chuck your kid in daycare as quickly as possible right. and then, and then kindergarten. And then, and then like, you don't even, you spend like an hour a day maybe with your kids. Right. So I, I see that what, and I mean, please let me know if I'm wrong, but I see that a huge contributing factor to resolving this horrible, you know, thing called human trafficking, the, a, a way to end it in your own kind of, time and and make a difference in your own way is to merely invest in the people in your life right like really invest in in helping them feel self-worth because that's because you're in in that in that place what you are doing is is you're in you're eliminating vulnerability that that a a trafficker would exploit if you create a daughter who's who's self self self-secure Right, who who recognizes that she's loved? She she has a stable she she has a staple family that that really loves her. She is she is way down on the list of a person who's going to be trafficked. You know, just a you know if if these guys traffickers are in the shopping malls. My daughter was approached by traffickers in the shopping mall. And it's like, oh, you could be a model. You know, here, give take my card. But a lot of those guys are traffickers. They're fronts for traffickers, and they they lure you in by by telling you how beautiful you are and and. What what we found though is if the girl turns to the guy and goes, "That's right, I am," he walks away. He's he's not going to pursue that. And 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 another another thing too is like the your daughter, you know what's happening with so many daughters through social media is that they're making a relationship with this guy. And and one of my students is Generation Z, and one of the things she said is like we we trust a complete stranger on the internet much more than we trust our own parents. And, and I, that's something that every parent has to really consider that, that if you're not there, if you're not being there in, involved in your kid's life and knowing what they're knowing, what they're doing and experiencing and feeling, well, somebody else is going to step up and take that role. And, um, yeah. and, and, and so we have, we have girls that are, that are chatting with these guys online and falling in love with this person that they think that they now know on Instagram and in one case in San Bernardino, this girl was, she was a, a 4.0 student in high school. She was like three weeks away from graduating high school, already being accepted into a university. And she'd been playing, a, a, you know, games with this guy, online games with this guy for about nine months. And she 
felt that she completely loved him. And he said, and he wanted her to come to Ireland to see him. He was in Ireland. He was going to take care of her. We have a great life together. She, she ended up getting a part-time job while going to school so she could make the money to pay for her ticket to fly to him. She bought the ticket. She actually went and got her passport. She, she was going to leave, I think two days later. And the mother had heard a talk about human trafficking, came home and mentioned this to her daughter you know, about this, you know, people getting on planes and flying to meet somebody that they met online. And the daughter just completely goes white and said, and brings out her ticket to her plane and her passport and says, I was going to leave on Sunday to go meet this guy. And the, the mother's just blown away because if she hadn't, if she hadn't gone to that talk and learned about trafficking, she, she wouldn't have brought it up and her daughter would have been gone. So they, they called the police. The police ended up finding that this guy was a trafficker in Ireland. And as soon as she landed on the plane, she would have been gone. And, and the mother never would have seen her daughter again. Um, and in other cases where it's like, what we typically do then is we come in and say, let me see your phone. You are not going to have your smartphone anymore. I'm taking it away, right? I mean, your, your, your desire to protect is like that. But what's much more effective, if you can develop rapport with your, your child so that they're willing to tell you, um, there, were, there was another case, and I think this is really a template for, for what a lot of parents should do and, and, and can do in these kind of cases is the, 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 the daughter was just in love with this guy and she, she wanted to go live with him. She's going to leave. She's like 17 years old. And, and so the mother says, well, why don't you invite him over for dinner? You know, if you love him, then I'm, I'm going to like him. So just invite him over so I can meet him. And, and you know, and then, she, then she would just say like, things like, you know, where did he go to school? You know, what kind of work does he do? And, and you do the, you ask those questions because traffickers never give away anything about themselves. They just listen. They're gigantic ears and, and they're, they're collecting data that then they can use against you later. Right. So, so you start asking those questions of your daughter, not in a threatening way, not in an accusing way, but just very, you know, like, Oh, where did he go to school? You know, what is, what does he like to do? What are his hobbies? What does he do? And, and the daughter will then realize that she knows nothing about this guy. So she can reach the, the conclusion herself that I don't know anything about this guy. And then the next time she's chatting with him, she's going, my mom wants you to come over for dinner. And, and yeah, where did you go to school? And what do you do? And then sh- shut down. The guy disappears. He's gone. Because that's, not, you know, he's lost her at that point. And so it's like how, how to be wise in, in those kind of cases when it's, when it's already reached that point. But, you know, to me, again, it's like if you want to fight human trafficking, be trustworthy. And keep keep trust with your kids, and and allow them to know that they can come and talk to you about anything. That you're not going to shut them down, you're not going to slam them, but you but you're 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 someone safe that they can come and talk to. And if you're an aunt or an uncle, do the same thing. Be an aunt or an uncle that's trustworthy to your nieces and nephews. And what if you're a, a 22 year old young man or woman? What what is a meaningful way that you can sustainably contribute to, to helping resolve human trafficking. Get an AK 47, go down to, no, sorry, sorry, bad joke. We, we can't kill all the traffickers and, and shoot our way out of this. No. Um, but that's, that's one of the problems with movies like taken. It's kind of like, it just gets, you get so angry. You want to go kill pimps and it's like not a solution. Um, but no, if you're, if you're 2022 and you're looking at, at a, you know, at getting married, at, at having some some life with children in the future, if you don't have children already, man, prepare yourself for that. I mean, you got to really be prepared. What are your kids going to want to see? What do they need to see in you as a dad? 
You know, what, what do your nieces and nephews need to see in their uncle? What, what, you know, we, we, we have to really start to, to think about ourselves in terms of, you know, people are going to be modeling themselves after us. They're going to look to us an example. They're going to follow us. So whatever you do, um, this came up just recently, someone talking about suicide in their family. And it's like, you know, three generations of people committed suicide because that becomes the, the family option, right? When you have, when you have hard times within, yeah, my, my dad killed himself. So, you know, but, but it's the same thing we, we're, we model and, and, and we're designed that way. I mean, the, the way that, the way that we're, we're hardwired is we're, we're hardwired to look to our parents for the example of how I'm supposed to be, of what kind of person I should be. And we don't get that because our parents weren't able to be the people they needed to be. So then, then that, that we just pass trauma down, we, we pass down the lack of, you know, what's missing from generation to generation. But if we start really, if we start really waking up to that, my kids are going to model their behavior after me. Like, what, what am I doing? What am I, what, what am I representing to them? You know, the, the, if you're a person of integrity, your kids may go through struggles, but, but, you are, but you're a rock that they can always come back to. And, and you're gonna, yeah. that's going to be the way that you're going to keep your kids safer than taking away their smartphones, moving into the, moving into the desert. Um, you know, th- those, are, those are not really the realistic solutions to this. But being being a person of integrity matters more than just about anything else, for your community, for your family, for your children. Um, so I think as a as a as a young guy, I mean, I encourage people to kind of to do to learn about human trafficking, learn what's going on because this is something that is prevalent and it's much more widespread than we realize. And because of the internet, it's no longer. Well, you had asked earlier about are there places where it's more prevalent? It's everywhere now. It's everywhere because because it's lucrative. There's money to be made. And the internet makes everything so much easier and so much more anonymous. There were, there were three high school girls in Canada that were arrested. They were trafficking their classmates. You know, they just saw this as an easy way to make money. And they were, they were threatening and, and, and being extremely mean to these girls. But they were trafficking 13 and 14-year-olds um, because they, they ended up lording over them and, and taking this, this power over them. But it was all money. They were just, this is their way to, to get some cash. And, um, so, so, so if, if you're, if you're a young person, it really does help to learn about what's happening. And because the internet is just this recruitment that's going on now 24 seven through the internet, um, you you really need to be aware of it and, and to know the signs of how these guys talk to girls and how they talk to children. Um, yeah, I, I have so many examples I could share, but yeah, not tonight, but, um, no. But become the person, become the person who's not creating vulnerability and not, and, and, and check your own entitlement. You know, what are you really entitled to? You're entitled to care and love for another human being with your whole heart, soul, and mind and, and have them respond beautifully to your, to your love. And so that there's respect at the very basic, the, the very base of your relationship to each other. And that makes sex pretty darn wonderful. Like when it, the, the foundation of it is, is a respect for each other. And, and not this kind of usury thing. So can I ask, what, um, what is the antithesis to the commodification of a human being? So the definition of human trafficking is commodifying and selling and profiting off of another human being. So what would be the exact opposite? If that's like the darkest, worst way that you can treat a human being, then what would be the antithesis of that? Nurturing and valuing another human being. For, for as, as a human being. And I, and I think that's, you know, if you come from a faith perspective and I know, and I work with people who are all across the board, I mean, 
right, left, <laughs> up, down. Um, but if you come from a faith perspective and, and you do believe that, that, that we have a creator and that we're, and that we're made in the image of God, that, that's our base. And it doesn't matter skin color. It doesn't matter gender. It doesn't matter. And none of these things matter. I mean, you're, you're made in the image of God. And, 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 and my responsibility is to really treat you as a valuable person who has an incredible, you know, gift and, and is irreplaceable in this world. And I think once that really struck me that, that each and every one of us are irreplaceable. There's never going to be someone that comes along that can do exactly what you can do. They're not going to be able to see things exactly the way you see things. They're not going to feel about things the same way that you feel about things. So you are irreplaceable. You are uniquely valuable. And, and every time we lose someone to, to I, I mean, another example, if I, if I look at the, the George Floyd case, right? You know, we lost two people that day. We lost George Floyd. I mean, this is a man who got his, you know, knelt on his neck until he dies. But that policeman, to, to go to that point where you would kneel on another human being's neck and kill him, that's someone who, who is so damaged and, and, and lost, you know, as a member of the human family. That to me, I mean, my heart broke for both, for both men because I felt like we, we, lost, we lost two men in, from our human family that day. You know, one one. Yeah, I mean, I, I, to me, it's like they were, they were both, they were both children of God. They were both, you know, a brother to me. And one of them went to that extreme where he could kneel on another person's neck and, and allow him to suffocate and die, you know, is, that's a tragedy that someone, that someone that I care about did that to another human being and did that to my brother. And so, so if we, if we start to see things in terms of, you know, we're in this together, we're in this together and people believe all kinds of things, you know, because of their experiences and their things that they've read and things that they've been told and, and because of their DNA. And I mean, people are just a, a, a mix of all these different things that have led them to believe what they believe. But if I treat you, no matter what you believe, no matter what crazy stuff you say or, or think, I still treat you like a person with, with value. That's transformative. I don't know if you know Father Boyle, who started Homeboy yeah. Industries. Yeah, that's his whole thing. He, 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 his second book, which is really great, it was on radical kinship. And the idea that if I really, really, really believe that you're my brother, if I really, if I, if I approach you that way and I treat you that way, that's transformative. And no matter how dark you may feel, no matter how entrenched you are in your thing, you, it's really hard to stand up to that, to someone really loving you and tr- feeling that you're valuable, even when inside yourself you're going, I'm a piece of crap, I'm worthless, I'm a bum. You know? and, and again, I would, I, would, I would bring that back to, to what I see as the, the real value and significance of, of High Noon, and that you're really taking this position. It's like really, you, every single person it, you're, that you're meeting and dealing with, no matter what they've done, no matter how far, how far down a path they've gone, no matter how bad they feel about themselves and no matter how much they may have caused pain to others, you're saying you're really valuable, you're irreplaceable, and, and we, need, we, you know, we need you to be the person you want to be and the person you need to be. And that's like, man, that's powerful stuff. Yeah, thank you. So, so is what you're doing, right? So I'm, I'm glad that we could, we could shed some light on this very dark topic and also understand that Human trafficking. I mean, I, that's what I've learned in this in this conversation is human trafficking. It's it's easy to get lost in the numbers, in the vastness of this topic, in the global nature of this topic. That you forget that it's really about human needs and um, the need for each person to feel valued uh, 
for who they are, not for what they've done, not for what they look like, but for who they are. And that that is irreplaceable. And that is something that we can give to anybody at any point in time. That's something that we can all do and we all need to work on because we are surrounded by people all day, every day. And so seldom do we take the opportunity to let people know how valuable they are. And that's a missed opportunity for, in some cases, for tragedy and for, you know, for, for avoiding tragedy. And we have that, that's a superpower we have is we can give people God's love. Like there's no power greater than that. Um, it's just that we forget because we, we're in, we're pursuing other things like, I don't know, likes on social media or whatever, instead of pursuing reminding people that they are extremely loved by the divine creator. Right. So I, I really like that because it's feasible as an action step that you can take right now and yeah. you learn uh, the skill of, of loving, you know, relentlessly. And it has more impact than just like your religious duty or just like a cute little Instagram quote. It's like, it can transform the entire, you know, destiny of somebody. Exactly. You get into the habit of doing it to marginalized people, to lonely people, reminding them that they're loved. So I really like that because it puts into priority, get your stuff together so that you have stuff to give to others. And all of, all of that is, you know, I mean, so once you, once you're, you know, that human trafficking exists, you're, you're ending it. You consciously make that choice, right? You know, I'm going to, you know, I, I'm going to really value this person. I'm going to value myself. I'm going to value my integrity and I'm going to really value another person, you know, and then that's, that's actually, that's eliminating the vulnerability that's going to, be be the be the environment that someone's going to be trafficked in later, and so we can end yeah. it. I mean, I just really see this. We, we're at an amazing moment in history, and everything's everything looks so bad, but actually there is such a consensus now globally, which we we've never really had. I mean, you know, slavery has existed for an awfully long time, and and it, that terminology is used now that that the modern day slavery is human trafficking, and it's like, you know, it's it's. It's never been as bad as it is today. There's never been as many human beings in slavery as there are today than ever before in human history. But more people are on the same page that slavery is wrong, that this is evil, and that, that we that we need to have the laws in place, and we need to have we have we need to have the individual personal integrity. Like it really does start with me. If we're going to end human trafficking, it has to start with me. It's not it's not this you know wicked mafia out there that's that's doing all this. It's not the Jeffrey Epstein's. It's it's the vulnerabilities that I allow to to exist in myself um, that, that would allow me to be a tra- trafficked or a trafficker. So how do we how do we end those? And and we have the power to do that. It's just so amazing. And and like we had the first film festival that I that I organized, we had eight hundred people came to to watch films about human trafficking and music and dance and things. This was last year. And and the thing that people said when they came out was that it was fun. And that is not what I expected. Um, but they came out and said, this was really fun because they were together with a bunch of people who really cared about people that they were never going to meet. You know, they, they, you're, you're together with people who are really like, we are really, we are really going to do something to help stop this. We're going to end human trafficking. And so there was, a, there was a kind of a celebratory feeling, even though they're just, they just watched some horribly dark film or something that was really challenging. But the feeling was, yeah, we're doing something about it. So therefore, 
it's this is this is not something that's a, a weight that's crushing me. This is something that actually I'm I'm on the I'm on the winning end of this and we're gonna we're gonna win this and and see this end. And we can. God, it's just like I mean, I look at the coronavirus, look at this. The world completely got turned upside down in three months because of a disease. Right? But that means yeah. the converse is true, right? If we have the right idea, the right spirit, the right the right motivation, the world can tip. You know, we can have a profound impact on the world today like like has never been possible in human history. Like we have this, it's within our grasp. I love it. So I know that you have a website. I know that uh, people are going to want to reach out and ask you more questions. So what is a good way for people to connect with what you're doing and with you as a human as well? Um, so the best way to reach me is through my email address. Um, oh, we do have a website and I'll give you that too, but um, is Patrick dot unhcr at gmail.com so it's it's p-a-t-r-i-c-k dot u-n-h-c-r at gmail.com and then the the website we're we're rebuilding we're creating this whole platform that's going to actually become a, a community for the entire human trafficking effort um, and and a, and, a, and a platform for the entire arts community to be part of. So right now, this is being built, um, the platform. So we still have our, our website, but it's going to transform into this platform in the next like three, four weeks. Um, but it's seeitendit.com. So it's C-S-E-E-I-T-E-N-D-I-T.com. Seeitendit.com. C-E-E or S-E-E? S-E-E. I'm so sorry. Did I say C? We'll have everything in the show notes. We have an amazing helper to, to make this all possible. So it'll all be in the show notes. Please reach out to him. Please learn more. Learn as much as you can so that it can feed your doing. And like he said, I really like that. I learned that today as well, that um, you only feel overwhelmed if you feel like you, you can't contribute to a solution. And we just outlined the solution, honestly. It's learning how to fill yourself up with an understanding of your own value and then passing that off to as many people as you can throughout your days. And, and it's, it's a huge difference. You have no idea. Like when was the last time somebody called you just to remind you of how great you are? That's the power we have at all times. I'm probably never, if ever, I think maybe one time it's happened to me. So we have that superpower. Let's do it. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this is part one of there will be more for sure and um, yeah thank you for for letting us steep in this very interesting and complex and deep and painful but somehow hopeful topic Um, thank you so much thank you Andrew so much I really appreciate being here and anytime anything you need hope you found that episode enjoyable and before we go i wanted to challenge you to take your life on to take your life to the next level and if you're struggling in any way with pornography with masturbation with issues of sexuality that just are not helping you at all if you want to reclaim your life reclaim your eyes and ears your time your energy then take our free 15 day challenge If you go to highnoon.org, you can find our 15-day challenge right there on the front page. Take it. It's absolutely free, no strings attached. We've designed it to help you gain some level of momentum in your journey of sexual integrity so that you can 
take the next step, whatever that may be. It could be to go to our deeper Ascend program, which is a 90-day program we have. It could be to reach out to that accountability partner. It could be to just take the whatever steps you need to take in your journey to build the life of heavenly sexuality that you deserve. So go to highnoon.org right now if you want to break up with porn and start to get engaged with the life of your dreams and eventually marry it. Doesn't it sound nice? So go to highnoon.org to find all of those resources and more. It's been a slice.